2: Hello and welcome to episode 235 of the Ministry of Arts podcast. We had lots of love for last week's episode featuring Piers Secunda. And I think I mentioned at the time, if you like that episode, go and have a listen to episode 7 featuring Simon Callery. It's on a similar sort of level, you know. And thank you as ever to our Patreon supporters, without whom we would not be able to produce this podcast. And we've just had a new line released in the Ministry of Arts merch shop. Over on the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile, you'll find a link tree drop-down box that will take you to both the Patreon page and that merch shop. And 100% of those proceeds go back into this podcast. Well, today's episode was a real lot of fun to record. It's with photographer and filmmaker Alison Jackson. What she does is quite unique and looks so much fun to create. She employs lookalikes of the rich, famous and powerful. She then puts them in a fitting environment and then directs them to perform in a way that we would love to imagine them doing behind closed doors. In the Soho review, she had Trump having sex with a woman on the table. I suppose that doesn't take too much imagination. Camilla getting drunk, Wills and Harry fighting, and in, this episode, and in this episode, she even talks about a situation where she was outside Buckingham Palace and the security and the security even opened the gate thinking that the royals were the real deal. It's like spitting images come to life. It's something that you may even be able to help Alison with. A couple of weeks ago, she was on TV in the hunt for a Keir Starmer lookalike, or at least someone who resembles him. So if you know someone that fits the bill, give Alison a shout on Instagram. Anyway, I don't want to spoil anything, so please come with me as I spoke to photographer and filmmaker Alison Jackson.
3: Right. I'm on my iPhone. That's quite all right. Is that all
2: right? Of course it is. How are you this morning? You good?
3: Yeah, no, absolutely fine. What about you?
2: Yeah, good. So I do have seven questions, Alison, that I ask every guest. And the first being,
3: how would you explain what you do to someone that doesn't know your work? Well, uh, very quickly, I make uh, films and photographs about celebrities doing things in private, but stage everything uh, with lookalikes, actors with wigs and create uh, people who uh, actually look nothing like uh, the. (laughs) celebrity, but I make them look like the real celebrity and then I put them into situations that really exist in our minds, uh, but images we've never seen before, we've all imagined but never seen before. I mean, you say they look nothing like the person they're
2: supposed to. When you see a celebrity in real life, uh, a lot of the time they don't quite look like what we envisage them to look like anyway, do they, you know?
3: Well, uh, the medium of photography is a deceitful, slimy medium. So you can't <laughs> tell or use it as an in, in interpretation or in translation from a real person uh, into the media version. So, yes, the celebrities do look quite different in real life to mm-hmm. how they do screen. You know, Tom Cruise is tiny. Uh, you know, he looks like a sort of glamorous giant. He's not. You know, things like that. And some people who are quite pretty in real life actually come across on camera not so good looking. So... (laughs) (laughs) That's that's
2: like me. In real life, I am really hot. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I mean, we only need accents of a person, like visual accents, to um, make us think it is the person. Like uh, the, the person that you use for Camilla quite a lot. Her wig is perfect. She can have her head down and it still um, resembles Camilla, doesn't it? That,
3: that's right. Uh, she's a great fun lady, the uh, woman that I've used as a Camilla lookalike over the years. I've worked with her for 20 years. It's incredible. And she disappeared for a few years because she because she got married, etc. cetera. Um, but she's come back into my life and she's wonderful. Um, and actually, uh, the wig is mostly uh, really about her, because if you look at my photographs of her, which is the most difficult thing to do to capture a likeness, you'll see that I've got her hand in front of her face most of the time. Yeah. But you'll know it's Camilla. So it's all about visual idents. It's about those iconic visual, you know, suggestions that make uh, the photographs work or not. Did you have creativity in the home growing up? Uh, Neither of my parents were creative. So my father actually didn't really do very much at all. (laughs) And my mother, um, no, she wasn't, as far as I know, not creative. I didn't really see much of them because I was at boarding school most of my uh, childhood from the age of seven uh through to 18 so I didn't really um come across them. I would have thought my father probably if he'd allowed himself to be would have been creative uh he was certainly a great fun uh character so where do you think yours came from well I think my creativity I didn't really know I was creative at all Um, My parents gave me a camera, I didn't really speak very much, Um, so I just lived behind this camera and took photographs of everything, I was very visual, very observant, um, and observational, Um, and then uh, I wanted to, I wrote a script for Channel 4 and British Screen and they um allocated me as a new director and wanted to give me a new director's prize when i was very young when i was about 18. oh wow i wrote the script when i as a, as a receptionist uh and so i wrote it under my desk Superb. but i had to find a production company and all of that thing to make it work so i just thought oh well my production company that i'm working for is bound to want to do this so I told Channel 4, I thought, oh, my production company I'm working for is a receptionist. I'm sure they'll want to do this film. So I went back to them and I said, I've told Channel 4 that you'll, you'll do the film. And they just said, no way, <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, oh, because uh, all the males, uh, all the directors were male.
2: Of that. course, of course. Um,
3: so the idea of a female young receptionist becoming a director was probably absolutely abhorrent yeah. uh, <laughs> so I thought well damn this I'll have to go uh, to college and because uh, I was completely uneducated I just learned how to cook uh, with custard powder in my schooling days I uh, had come out really with no o-levels and so I thought well I'll have to go and educate myself creatively if I want to be a creative
2: so sorry in. so nothing come of that um script that you wrote
3: for no. Four. production company scuppered it because everything was in place and all i needed was a production company so i just made it look like so that kind of completely failed because uh, wow. the production company were trying to push the uh, male directors and this was a new director prize um so the whole thing uh, sort of fell apart so i thought well i'll go to college that's what i did so I went to go and do a diploma at a local college in uh, Chelsea, uh, and you know, funded by the council, and uh, got together a. Um, actually, no, it wasn't. It was at Kensington and Chelsea College, which is a really, really great creative college, but funded by the council. It was free, so got together my uh, portfolio, and then went to Chelsea College of Art and then went to the Royal College of Art. And it was really the Royal College of Art that put me on a platform, a visual platform to work as a creative. So as I was leaving as a student at the Royal College of Art, I had a very turbulent time there with the Princess Diana work that I was doing. Um, But as I was leaving the Royal College of Art, um, the BBC approached me and offered me a television series which was called Double Take, So that was pretty, and I always wanted to direct and they said I could direct it and write it and be in control of the whole thing. So it was a created by series, which is a very difficult title to get, um, facilitated by Tiger Aspect, who was, there was a great producer there called Paul Summers, and he really just guided me through the whole thing. And so that's how my career started. Is that but the I one you got a BAFTA for? I got a BAFTA for it, and we had nominations for BAFTAs thereafter. But and was that I... the first one that you worked on? Yeah. <laughs> That's brilliant. I know. Well, it was a new idea. Brilliant. Because nobody else had come up. It was a unique new idea. Nobody else had come up with this concept. It's sort of like speed Image, but live, isn't it? That's right. You can't tell what's real or fake anymore. We don't care. And I'd created this thing. It's painstakingly hell to create it. But I managed to create it, which was extraordinary. And the BBC, the commissioning um, programmer at that point, said it took a 24 hours to make a decision, go for it, allocate the money and make it. <laughs> Brilliant. Prosperous. I they don't work like that anymore, do they? she just said it was just a unique idea Brilliant. and the creation with tiger aspect the production company was just great yeah and i new and fresh so basically uh, the commissioning editor from the bbc at that point was a woman so which was also fairly unique yeah, uh, position yeah. for a woman so i was one of the first female comedy directors at that time i mean i i know there are you know token Female director yeah, yeah. throughout the history of directing, but there just weren't, uh, I mean, I'm sure there were a few, but very few female uh, directors. And I think I was the first comedy director. Yeah. Certainly well, one.
2: Two, two things you mentioned there, if I can just pick up on those, yeah. is when you said about um, celebrity and sort of no one really cares if it's real or not. No. I remember a story about some students who. Um, i might i may get the price wrong here but they they mocked up um diana and hewitt um uh, her riding about on his back in a in an apartment and they took some photos from outside but it was just friends of theirs and they sold them to one of the red tops for like i don't know 10 20 50 grand
3: or whatever it was i don't know if you remember that that specific but thing. i i do remember that and i i have to say i want to say to you i think those were my And sorry. Because we did, that's exactly what double tape was. It was like a compilation of topical stories. So at the time then it was John Major romping around with a Mm. very attractive politician called Edwina Curry on the on the ground. He he was our prime minister. It was Blair, you know been wiles behind yeah. the scenes and you know it was all it was like five-second to 30 second clips effectively it was like a tv version of tiktok
2: yeah yeah of course and you also mentioned about when you was at college you had a turbulent time with the uh, work you was doing on lady diana would you be able to tell us about that
3: yes well when i was at the royal college of art of course it was the royal college of art and it really was royal so Prince Philip was round at the college a lot. Lord Snowden was round at the college a lot. And my studio overlooked Princess Diana's house, Kensington Palace. Yeah. Um, and so when she died, the whole of outside of my studio was just the view of people and flowers and silence, this vigil for this sacred or overnight, this woman had become sacred. So the day before she died, everyone hated her. And the day after she died, everyone loved her. Uh, yeah. Very guilty. And I heard the, the the press told the media, you know, told their journalists, just make the world cry. And they certainly did. Yeah, and definitely. so was fascinating to me that princess diana was a media construction very few of us actually knew her for real but we thought we knew her intimately and so that's what my work was about i'd been put into the royal college of art photography department under duress because i hated photography because it's a slimy deceitful media doesn't tell the truth, you know, it slips and slides. It it leads you to believe it's telling a real story when it's not. And basically, then Princess Diana died with this whole fake story, or not fake story, but there was a grain of truth and a lot of um, exaggeration about her life that went on for years. So I thought, well, I can't ignore this um, because I wasn't spending much time there because I just didn't want to be in the photography department for all the reasons I told you, I hated it. So I started making this work about Princess Diana, about how much the camera lies and how much um, you think it looks real or sounds real, but actually it's fake. So I was commenting on photography, shooting it all through photography. So I created a photograph of Diana Dodie and their mixed race child together. Which the press thought was completely out and put me on the front pages, saying "disgusting artist at the Royal College of Art, how could she tasteless, so on and so forth." And I thought, well, hang on a second. Here they are selling newspapers, reappropriating my imagery, and then telling the world that I'm a disgusting artist. And then in private, the one day I was allowed to show. The work at the Royal College of Art was the day I was leaving and that was and I wasn't I wasn't um, I couldn't participate in any uh, exhibitions at the Royal College of Art I I was totally isolated oh, wow. oh yes it was horrible um because so, of this so work. it was it was right up there with like a pornographic image well I always likened these stories of Princess Diana to the same way that pornography works, that basically we just can't stop ourselves yeah. reading it or watching it. We wanted to know about which bit of artery left, which bit of heart. And I thought, well, this is getting absolutely. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah and i uh, and anyway, so i I, I was very um, upset and i remember a tutor uh, saying to me at the royal college of art he said why are you worried about being controversial um and i said well because i'm being attacked and he said well don't worry about it just continue your work so I, he was very very helpful an artist himself called peter Kennard. um <laughs> i was with peter just last night really yes. yeah it was amazing and he encouraged me to continue my work he was the only person who encouraged me to uh Brilliant. continue while I was being isolated also my work was vandalized if I did manage to get it in a show it become became vandalized at the Royal College of Art anyway so it's, I felt it was pointless being there so basically it came to the very last day and I could show this terrible piece Princess Diana Dodie and their mixed-race child which looked like a real uh Snowdonian Lord Snowden yeah, portrait, yeah. family portrait and the press was saying how awful I was. And the opposite of that was that people would come and lay flowers underneath it. And looking back on it now, I think there was a real gender divide. I think the women who were silent really um, were for Princess Diana and her empathized with her story. And the men thought she was a, a hysteric. Yeah. In that old-fashioned, old fashioned, all women are hysterics. So um, I think it was very much a, a gender uh, divide. So uh, that was very interesting to me. And I remember the rector, Chris Frayling, being very, very adept because he had Charles Saatchi standing on one side of him. He had Prince Philip standing on the other side of him. And so he would talk, turn <laughs> to Prince Philip and he said, don't worry, she'll be gone tomorrow. Wow. And- artist, and then you would turn, spin round, you know, in the space of a, a meter, spin round to Charles Saatchi, and this is the next hottest big artist, buy her work, collect her Brilliant. work now. and I just thought, okay, that's what he's up to, yeah, and he,
2: says it,
3: all. it helped my career, because he launched, the only time I was allowed to show, it, and he organized about 100 paparazzis to come along to the Royal College of Art, i didn't organize them i came out of my studio and there was suddenly a bank of paparazzis trying to take photographs of me so he must have organized all of that which bounced to the bbc the bbc gave me a series coca-cola schwetz gave me a massive ad campaign to do and so it launched um, my career immediately Um, and with all of that, I still felt I didn't really want to do a television series. I didn't really want to do um, an advertising campaign. I wanted to be, because I hated photography and thought it was a slimy medium. <laughs> that told lies uh, that I really just wanted to be an artist, you know, in a garret, you know, not, not, you know. And I knew that all this media attention would slightly tarnish my reputation as a pure
2: fine artist yeah well a lot of artists when they're leaving college they dream of that trajectory and now if you literally had it as you walked out the door how was it keeping up that plateau if you like or trying to raise
3: your trajectory from there Well, it's very difficult because you're always looking for new things. I feel I haven't really finished all the work I'd like to do on this body of work. I'd love to do another television series about the media construction of public figures and celebrities and the mechanism of how it all works that benefits the media, benefits the publicists, benefits the celebrities themselves and benefit us because we love to look uh, all this stuff, even though we know it's all not true, we can't stop ourselves watching no. it. I mean, imagery is so Moorish, isn't it? We yeah. just can't. So I would love to make a series about that, um, which I hope to do. But the the celebrities in question um, and
2: royals, I mean, they're, they're just giving you so much ammunition pretty well, much
3: on a weekly basis, aren't they? That's right. I mean, it's unstoppable. I mean, many times I've started doing new bodies of work that are totally unrelated to this. And then every time people come back to me saying, oh, please, you know, do a Donald Trump thing. Please do, you know, a Prince Harry thing. Please do a nation thing. Please do, you know, that. And it's sort of never ending. Yeah. That's the extraordinary thing because we haven't really got to the bottom of. What we're doing, believing the imagery which we know we can't believe. Yeah, nobody's answered that one yet, have
2: they? Yeah, yeah. It sort of goes beyond satire, doesn't it? It sort of it it turns out in the end that they're almost reliving your made-up narrative. Well, it's quite.
3: That's right. I mean, in my television series, that's what I do. I mean, we, you know, I remember David Beckham was attacked by um, Ferguson in the locker room and came out with a bash on his head. Well, I'd already made that clip because I'd (laughs) worked. That's right. I'd worked. Ferguson was going to lose it with David Beckham one day. Yes. I'd done this locker room fight with a boot on his head. And lo and behold, they'd had this fight in the locker room. So... Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's it's quite easy to predict, because if you get under the skin of the personalities and the characters, you can predict what they're going to do. It's not rocket science no. Um rather than knee jerk stuff that's in the media and just rely on ridicule. I don't really do that. I try and understand what the celebrity is about. I work with a lot of uh, psychoanalysts so I can really understand the type of character. The the um the person is, the celebrity is. And therefore you can work, you can work out reams, you know, yeah. hours yeah. of what might happen and what may have happened, just wow. based on what type of personality type they are.
2: Well, which piece that you've created, Alison, has got the strongest emotional connection?
3: Uh well, I love the Diana work, and weirdly, that's still extremely popular, and I wish I had more of it. Um you know, because in galleries and things, that's the most popular piece that people want to buy. Um, And I love that work because that's what just kickstarted me into wanting to investigate what all this was about idolization of celebrity. Why, what's so important about celebrity and how they're all made up, manufactured, constructed by the media. That's the bit that really fascinates me. And not just the media, by the publicists and the celebrities themselves, because it's big business for every everybody, isn't it? Yeah. I loved, obviously, all the Queen work I did. I think we're going to have a lot of fun with Charles and Camilla. I reckon. Just because they're so unroyal in a way, aren't
2: they?
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and also Camilla's, you know, I'm sure she's completely wild at her age, you know. <laughs> I feel very sorry for Harry. Um, you know, I, I really do. And seeing him at the coronation, slinking around at the back and slinking off is, you know, sad. I think. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
3: I mean, you mentioned Camilla there. You've done a few
2: morning after uh, images of Camilla, haven't you? Like uh, having a air of the dog or getting over the night itself.
3: Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm sure she was a
2: real party. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah,
2: um, I, think, I think your favourite image of, for me is the, um, the Lady Diana flipping the bird.
3: Yes, that's right. Well, I love that image. And that came from a film. So I made a film about Princess Diana, which never got shown. It got banned by the Westminster Council because I was due to show it in Leicester Square. So they suddenly on the night refused to let it be aired. And also the government got involved and refused to let me show it. Anne Whittacombe and Tony Blair said I was a blot on Tony Blair's Cool Britannia, which right. I thought was the most ridiculous. Ridiculous thing to say, particularly as neither of them had watched the film. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my point, you know, that they're just reading the press and making the lines up without even having to bother to watch the film. Um, and that photograph of Diana uh, giving the finger or flipping the bird is um, a still from that film. And because it wasn't a very good still, I had to paint it. So it's also half painting. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Still, yeah. Half uh, screen grab still, yeah. It oh, okay. What I parts had to, had to be painted? I had to paint part of a face Brilliant. and paint uh, all the background, yeah. Oh, superb. So if you look carefully, you can see the brush marks and, like, pointillism. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm superb. not really... But when you set your mind to it, you do it. Of course, of course.
1: Yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times PlushCare Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss.
3: Is your show still on at the moment? Yes, I've got a show at the Grove Gallery uh, and so all the images from the coronation are there. So please come and have a look. Uh, it's good fun. And I took a horse and carriage around. <laughs> of course you did. And we thought, <laughs> oh, I'll just stop off at Buckingham Palace. And everyone said, oh, don't go to Buckingham Palace because it's shut down. And I said, oh, well, well, go to Buckingham Palace and we'll stop at the barriers and walk and do a photograph of backdrop of Buckingham Palace. Brilliant. We trotted along with these very energetic horses, white horses in plumes, and a horse carriage with our footmen dressed in, you know, livery red outfits, and the Charles and Camilla look alike in the back. And lo and behold, they opened the barriers. Let us in. I didn't and, know that. Uh, yes. And then um, I also had a whole sort of slightly motley crew of people on Harley Davidson's. <laughs> motley but i was on the back of a harley davidson mopeds bicycles with booms so they in as well and there was a garden party going on and then they opened up the gates to let us go into the garden party i don't know what they thought i mean i hope nobody got fired because i'm very grateful did you get into the garden party well, we got into Buckingham Palace and then suddenly they realized they'd made a frightful mistake and they didn't know what to do. So they just stood around looking at the horse and carriage yeah. and they tried Miller lookalikes. I don't think they could tell whether they were real or not.
2: Brilliant.
3: That's I really amazing, don't. Isn't it? Anyway, suddenly realized it was a frightful mistake and um, they did try and sort of push me or. Uh, get me by the arms and drag me away. And I thought, oh, my God, this is, I'm going to look like one of those stop oil people. I'm <laughs> like, moment, of that. Uh, and um, so anyway, uh, I said, I'm a woman, you can't touch me. So they let go of me. And so I had to run down the mall in my extremely high shoes. And um, well, I have seen that uh, photograph of you with a crash helmet on running behind, trying to catch yeah. up with a motorbike. Brilliant. Well, that's right, because the police said, get on your bike. They wanted me on my bike for some reason. Probably because legally you're allowed on your feet uh, around Buckingham Palace because it's tarmac, but, you you know, it's illegal to be on a motorbike. So as soon as I'm back on a the motorbike, they can...
2: Yeah, of course. That's their reason, then, yeah.
3: Everything about... I always watch out for the legals. Everything about that that I did was legal um, because... Uh, you know, you're allowed a horse and carriage in London. It doesn't have a registration plate, so it's not offending any traffic uh, problems, uh, regulations. And so it was totally legal. And if someone invites you in, you're far from trespassing, are you? I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I just could not believe we were invited into Buckingham Palace. You know, Charles, Queen Camilla in a fake... Horse and carriage invited into buckingham palace and how many mean? images of that did you get we've do, done a whole video remember yeah. i had like 15 harley <laughs> david and video cameras all following it i'll show you I'll that to you. you can show it
2: that is
3: superb i love it and the crowds which brilliant because one minute really the crowds were looking in to see who they could see in the garden party and could they see King Charles who was there giving a speech so they were sort of peering in with their binoculars and then suddenly we arrived in the opposite direction you know behind them so they all swung around to look at us and uh, see the horse and carriage with the fakes in it because of course one minute the the viewers are going to
2: be going well that's not Charles and Camilla then all of a sudden the door's open and they go, oh, it is Charles and Camilla.
3: but well, they're getting chased out again and you don't know what's real or false, do you? Oh, right. Nobody really knew. And there was a lot of videos out on YouTube saying, oh, that's it's funny, Charles and Camilla and the horse. And, yeah, they seem to be going away again. And yeah. then, then somebody goes, oh, well, I think they're lookalikes. <laughs>
0: um
3: you know, it was very, very, very interesting. But yeah. I love that because it's a real mixture of real and fake and nobody really knows what's going on and you know we're all coming into the age now of AI and it's looming and it's going to be even more difficult to tell what's real or fake but what I like about doing this with real people rather than AI is it really does exist you know this is Joe Smith and Dan Jones and basically in your mind, you think it's one thing, but actually you can't rely on your own perception anymore. Yeah. Well, there's that thing, isn't there, where reality and unreality
2: can work in parallels, but as soon as they cross over, that's, that's uncharted
3: territory. We don't really know what to do, do we, you know? Yeah, no, that's right. It's kind of like, well, it's bizarre, but we do live in this slight like, fantasy world because the imagery allows you to fantasize. You know, so all I do is... People always, for example people always say my work is incredibly rude you know I'm doing these dreadful scenes and it's rude and shouldn't be looking at it and it's a push before you should we look at it or shouldn't we look but my work's never really very rude but there's something about the way I shoot it that inspires people's minds to take off with their imagination for them to think that it's rude, yeah. and that- What I find amazing. The photograph itself incites people to think that it's rude or because it's a private moment and I've shot everything through a door crack or a window frame or something that I shouldn't, you know, be doing, some kind of illicit way of shooting. It incites the viewer to think that it's really rude. It's. Fa- I find it completely fascinating because actually I'm very polite and not very rude. <laughs> yes. Yeah, see, I, I see it
2: as as sort uh, of like opening the curtain, if you like, on someone's life. Because it, for me, it just. I, I know they're not really the images that you create, but it to me it makes me think that they're just like us. You know, if, if that was them, they, you know, they don't get up in the morning and look beautiful. They get up like the rest of us, looking like a pile of shit at, yeah. <laughs> at seven o'clock in the morning, you know.
3: That's right. That's right. So basically, I suppose I'm just trying to, we're so numbed to the fact that we see so much imagery. Yeah. None of us know what's real or not. We don't know what people's private lives are, but we're dying because... The photograph is only really a a, a 3D suggestion of what might be going on in celebrities' lives. It makes us really want to know more about them in their private lives. So the more we see of a celebrity, repeat the real celebrity, repeated in a site or a magazine or TV, it just incites us to want more. What you can't have, because you can't ever meet the real celebrity through an image, what we can't have you want more of and so we chase after it so this 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 world of photography becomes a catalyst for us to really want to know more and more about these celebrities which we'll never know we'll right. never know the truth yeah you know in eight hours you can do four different studio setups you know and suddenly you know you've got four different stories or eight different stories one an hour um, uh, that look completely convincing
2: yeah yeah we're all aware that the, the person that the camera sees is just the persona the, the real person you see later on once they've shut the front door and and yeah they are pretty
3: much the same as the same as you and I aren't they well it's like Marilyn Monroe always used to say of her image who's that woman because yeah. she was very different woman in yeah. private to how uh, she was perceived, uh, you know, on camera. I mean, she had to play a part, didn't she? She had to act as a sex goddess, yeah. which, in fact, she was just a normal woman, ambitious, wanting to get to the top. But she got stuck in that rut of uh, playing the sex, you know, goddess. Yeah, yeah. There's a yes. question
2: I ask each guest: if there was you and five artists, past and present what would your ideal
3: group show be? Well, um, I was thinking about this because Andy Warhol was a huge inspiration to me. So his uh, photograph or his painting of Marilyn Monroe was based on a PR image of Marilyn Monroe. And he was asking us to celebrate all those beautiful colors of Marilyn uh, around her face to celebrate this PR image. And for me, that's really, I find very inspirational in relation to my work. I also find his explorations into uh, human nature uh, really interesting. I know people found his films very boring, <laughs> but I find them kind of fascinating. Hours, I've watched hours of them, uh, fascinating that he wanted to just study human nature yeah. and how. T- that could be on one hand, and how celebrated, like Marilyn Monroe with a PR image, a glossy studio PR image, can be celebrated, and made okay in the real world. So that there you have it. That's the difference between the public facade and the, the private, what we're really like. And that's what I really appreciate about uh, Andy Warhol. I think he's a fabulous, great artist. So him. Uh, Damien Hurst was a massive uh, inspiration to me because he was the first living artist in my lifetime who was straddling art, design, advertising. You know, he went into business with a, uh, one of the greatest advertising gurus of that time, Charles Saatchi, mm. who was one of the biggest advertising um groups or companies in the world Saatchi and Saatchi and also M&C Saatchi um so you know what an extraordinary thing that suddenly you've got art inverted con well it's not it is art but it was really under the, the guys Charles Saatchi sold it <laughs> and the yeah. sense in the 90s at the Royal Academy is one of the most exhilarating uh shows uh I ever saw um filmmakers I love. Amando Anucci, uh, you know, in the thick of it. Yeah, always wanted to work with Amando Anucci, and I was supposed to do that in the BBC uh, when I was working with the BBC, way, way back then he wanted to go off. I think he wanted to sort of do the same thing, and I do, I did, but with actors, and I was doing it with lookalikes. So he yeah. went one, I went another. Sadly, I so I missed my opportunity there. But I think he's a great artist. Um, I, on the film as well, documentaries, I love uh, Adam Curtis, yeah. because I really like uh, his brutal look yeah. and feel, you know, some of it gets a bit towards com- conspiracy. But if you just take it for a reveal a documentary, looking at how things started, I think he's completely uh, fascinating. I suppose Richard Prince, who's okay. focusing on the media. But he's not controversial. And I really like, oh, I suppose my, I think rather than Richard Prince, sorry, Richard Prince, I'd go for Marina Abramovich.
2: Brilliant.
3: I think she addresses bravery, women. Uh, she's not frightened. She's got balls. Yeah, most definitely. If women's balls are, I don't know what that is, but she is brilliant. And I think that that's very important. I think Warhol was courageous. Uh, I think Damien Hirst was also breakthrough. And I think uh, Marina Abramovich is pretty amazing.
2: Yeah. I mean, when you mentioned Damien Hirst there, I mean, he also took a hold and tried to bypass the gallery and selling straight to the auction house a few years ago and sold like $200 million worth of art in, in two sittings.
3: Yeah, completely breakthrough. He broke all the rules um, and found help to break those rules throughout. He yeah. wasn't on his own. You know, really clever strategy. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I think he's actually a really great artist. Yeah. He certainly opened up. And also, you know, his work was intellectually demanding. Um, now work is very decorative. I mean, I came from that rigorous intellectual rigor that we were taught at chelsea college of art you know we god i mean we had to explain our work there's no such thing as you couldn't weren't allowed to do pretty work it didn't not come into it the pretty now a recent thing yeah that
2: shift is changing quite a lot now, isn't it? I don't know whether that's to do with social media or not, where it's that instant grab, you know, like, a, like an advert. It has to be bold and, and, and something to catch the eye.
3: Well, I think that Damien Hirst opened the doors for saying, you know, I've got something to say with our new style of artwork. Uh, and now I think that it's now just very consumerist. Yeah. I think it's art as a consumer product. And, you know, you get all these art fairs, which are great, by the way, for living artists. I'm very pleased artists can make their living, but it's very based on, on consumerism. Yeah.
2: I mean, saying that <laughs> about art fairs, I was at the, uh, the Affordable Art Fair a couple of weeks ago there, and I was also giving a talk at the VIP evening. And um, Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd walked past. You know, I'm a huge fan of Gilmore and Pink Floyd. So I know his face instantly, but I've never seen it in real life. And because he was literally, what, three feet away, I didn't know if it was him or not on screen. I've had to look at him on screen to realise that the
3: one in front of me was him. He must be aware of his best angle. I mean, I think all celebrities know how they're going to be shot. I mean, when I shoot, I do a lot of portraits of celebrities, real celebrities as well. And um, often uh, I'm given a, like with Liza Minnelli, uh, you get um, a sheet of paper uh, or an email prior to the shoot, uh, exactly how and what you're allowed to do. Oh, okay, wow. Well, I think that's better than having a row. Oh, definitely, uh, yeah. On the day um, or even after. So say you've gone to a great trouble to shoot someone and then you show them the photographs um, and then they don't like them because you shot it from an angle that they don't particularly like. That's a shame. Yeah. I mean, I'm all for, you know, artistic. um, You're allowed, as an artist, you're allowed to do anything. But within the boundaries, Like I know that I'm going to look awful from one side. (laughs) So why would I let anybody shoot me uh, from that side? Yeah, so definitely. I'm actually, say, such a someone, you know, oh, two meters away, such and such a lens, slightly to the left, above the chin. And that's the rule. So if you yeah. want to shoot, you you do that or don't bother. Yeah. Course. And in that, you can shoot from, you know, yeah.
2: whatever. Um, yeah, as long as it's within those boundaries. Yes. Um, what do you think you'd like to do if you wasn't an artist, Alison?
3: And, well, I don't know. I I always rather appreciate legal minds. I've had the law quite substantially with this body of work um, because people always think that I'm going to get sued by Donald Trump or uh, Jeffrey Archer or (laughs) one of those litigious people. Um, But I've never been sued and never had a legal letter. But I really appreciate the law because it's so fascinating the technicalities of the law. Yeah. So I'm, quite, I'm very, very detailed, as you can imagine, you know, the, in particular, so that with my work, you've got to get every hair right in the wig and the right angle, the right line, nothing can be 90%, it's gotta be 100%. Yeah. Yeah. So, and laws like that, you have to fish around to find the technicality? And then and with my work, I, I started it as a legal loophole because the Royal College of Art would not allow me to make my work using other pictures of Princess Diana. So I started by making images of Prince of Princess Diana that Testino had shot and the Royal College of Art said, you can't do that because you're in breach of Testino's copyright. Um, So I had to stop that work. Then I thought, well, I'll look at Cronenberg's crash the film and they said you can't use his film because you're in breach of his copyright so everywhere I was going I was in breach so i started then to to i made my own version of Cronenberg's crash and got signed got the models to sign uh, model releases and um, and i did put it in a show in the royal college of art but the work was vandalized mysteriously overnight uh, so nobody saw the work so i was then thought well the only way i can continue is to get my own models, style them, and then that's a legal loophole. And the Royal Court couldn't say anything about that. No, nor
2: can anyone. You said your work was damaged. Um, how was the work damaged? Oh,
3: completely smashed. Oh, um, wow, okay. Yeah, it was broken on the floor, yeah. So uh, it was an installation of Cronenberg's um, crash, reshot by me. I mean, God, I had to go to the M4 shooter scene overlooking motorway cars and things like that. I mean, I got into tremendous trouble and then managed to put Princess Diana in there and, you know, somehow model that looked like, and the whole thing got smashed. Wow. You know, literally on the floor, all smashed. I don't know. I think there was some rude word written over the front of it as well.
2: Yeah. Mind you, if, if an artwork can push someone to the limits of doing something like that,
3: Got to be a good piece of artwork, right? Well, they've got smashed. Nobody will ever, nobody will ever know. Yeah. <laughs> but, yes. Wow. I mean, So you know, I was in serious shit yeah. at the of Art. But I have to say I'm very grateful for them to... They did actually want to expel me, but there wasn't any reason to. But I'm very grateful for them to have um, stuck with me amazing college uh so i'm very very grateful to them to allow all that. you know they just didn't want to become the royal college of art didn't want to become the, the college of art
2: yeah was-
3: but there are very few controversial artists and people you know it's very very tough to be a controversial artist i'm always in trouble and it's not easy you know it's really not easy i mean even just to shoot my work i, I can't even get a location because yeah. people have me shooting my work in their home. So I'm having to shoot everything guerrilla style on the streets, the police try and get me. You know, it's a nightmare. It's really hard work. I have to run after people in the street to get my cast. If I see someone, they, they may tell me to f off. If I tell them they look like Donald Trump. Uh, and then I have to persuade them uh, to do the piece of work. Then I've got to make the wig. It's hugely yeah. expensive. Well, if you ever need a Brad Pitt
2: lookalike, I'm there for that.
3: Powerful. <laughs> yes, yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> um, uh, are you still in the borough of Kensington and Chelsea? I am. Yes, I'm here, and I'm. I could show you. I'm overlooking Boris Johnson. He lives opposite me, and he's got this lovely house with French windows. He's often naked in front of the uh, windows. I, ha- I do look away. <laughs> Maybe he's doing it just for you, eh? He doesn't wave (laughs) to you, does he?
2: (laughs) Maybe he's got a look-alike doing it, eh? (laughs) I think
3: it's him. (laughs)
2: It's
3: very funny, yeah. Um,
2: And have you got anything coming up later on in the year, Alison?
3: Uh, Yes, I've got a show coming up in a studio in Mayfair. And so I can give you, I can send you the details of that. I do. So it's going to be an all-women show, female no uh, show, and we're all showing uh, some of my work. And I'm going to be showing new work of that. Um, I've got a show coming up in Maastricht uh, next year, as uh, so well have a touring museum show in Europe. It's massively successful, so I'm very pleased about that. And I've got I I run a charity uh, project and teach photography to young aspiring photographers, disadvantaged um, kids, underrepresented minority kids, uh, mainly in RBKC. And I'll be showing their work as well. Major art gallery in London. So I'll invite you as well. You could come and uh, you could come and meet them. And if you liked.
2: Definitely. I'll I'll probably be up for that. Yeah. That's a day in the life, isn't it?
3: A day in your life. Yeah. Amazing. It's like well, five, five years old, isn't it? Uh, five years. I was going to give it up after two years because I didn't think they were interested. Yeah. And then suddenly they all said, no, no, we've got to do it. Then, then, so now I'm swamped. That's-,
2: <laughs> the, yeah. that's what they call a rod for your own back, isn't it?
3: That's right. And <laughs> I love it. They're so talented. There's no shortage of talent and there's just shortage of opportunities.
2: Yeah, brilliant. And... Where can anybody find what you're doing, be it website or social media?
3: Uh, at Allison Jackson artist Splendid. and please contact me. I, you know, I've got lots of books. They're very popular. Um, and obviously if you want to buy the work, we, um, have, uh, pr- limited edition prints on the website and you can come to the studio and have a look. That's perfect.
2: Well, Alison, that's all my questions are. Oh, so We're thank too- you very much for your time. So I'll, I'll cut that bit out about Boris walking about Starkers. He'd probably like that, actually. He doesn't well, he mind
3: any I have If I don't print my address, then that's fine. He, he does some weird and wonderful things. That's for I'm sure. not going to give you any more information about Boris. <laughs> oh, I don't <laughs> want any more. <laughs> I've seen it all. <laughs>
2: Good. Well, I appreciate you not picking up your camera for it, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, Alison, I'll let you get back on with your day. Thank you very much for your time. And um, I'll send this over sometime today.
3: I'll show you, Boris. Go on. I don't know if you can see. Uh, with the trees of now. I can. I can. But a brick reaches house <laughs> if you threw it from there. Anti-Brexit. Uh. <laughs>
2: Alison, I've loved it. Yes. Thank you very much for your time. Yes.
3: Okay. Lovely Speak to meet soon. you. See you soon. Bye. Okay. Yeah.
2: Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Ministry of Arts podcast. It's a podcast that's produced with the help of the listener. And if you like what you've heard, and you think you might be able to give a little support, there's two ways in which you can do it. If you go over to the Ministry of Arts Instagram profile, you'll find a link tree drop-down box. And in that box, you'll find two links. One is called Buy Us A Coffee, and it's pretty much that. You can make a one-off payment the price of a cup of coffee. Or, if you're able and want to do it more long-term, you can become a Ministry of Arts Patreon, where you can sign up to support us on a monthly basis. And 100% of your support goes back into the podcast. And if you're not able to do that, that's absolutely fine. This content is free for everyone. But we would urge you to follow us on your socials and show us a bit of love that way. Either way, thanks for listening, and see you next time. ta out